Now, we were talking earlier on to our news panel about uh, Enoch Burke's currently Pyrrhic stand against the system in terms of not accepting the law and standing against it. And it, it begs the question, does that kind of thing ever work? Because there will be people who will have looked at the original refusal to purge his contempt and will have said, well, that just means that he stays in jail forever and ever and ever. And then we discover, no, it doesn't. It is possible to be released without having purged your contempt. So it is possible to fight the law and win, at least in theory. Larry Donnelly, University of Galway Law Lecturer, is here to tell us if it's possible to fight the law and win in practice. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Anton. Uh, let's start with the issue of, of contempt and the capacity to purge it. I seem to vaguely remember that the Rossport protesters found themselves in a situation where they were they were required to purge a contempt and they refused. That's right. Yeah, they were they, and they were in jail for uh, I think it was ninety four days. Ultimately, uh, if you can cast your mind's eye back to that time, Anton, particularly uh, in the west of Ireland, theirs really became. Uh, a, a cause. Uh, indeed, uh, you know, 66% of the Irish people were on their side. And this came down to uh, the Shell Oil uh, project off the coast of North Mayo. Uh, and Shell had gone in and effectively sold the community on the idea that this was going to be uh, mean jobs. It was going to be, you know, something to keep young people in the region, that altogether it was going to be a boon. Uh, the local community, by and large, bought into this. Uh, however, there was resistance. And, and indeed, they, you know, these, these individuals and several others uh, successfully, you know, they stopped, they tried to stop Shell uh, from coming in. They refused to stop interfering with Shell as they tried to set things up uh, and get it going. Uh, and it really became this idea of, of David versus Goliath, these people who were standing up for their community uh, against a huge multinational. Uh, and back how, in that- how then, Larry, just the, the purging of the contempt work? Because I, I would, from a layman's perspective, have assumed that the, the courts would take a view that says, tough luck, lads, you can rot in jail forever. We are the ultimate authority. But at a certain point, they decide to play nice. Yeah, I mean, th- there is that, Anton. And w- one of the things I-, I often say to my students, you know, is sometimes there's the law and sometimes there's other considerations. Uh, and look, these guys were in jail for 94 days uh, at a tremendous cost, it should be said, uh, to the taxpayer. Uh, I think, you know, look, public opinion was out there, was generally on their side that, yes, you know, they were they were they had violated the law. Uh, but at the end of the day, countervailing considerations, uh, I think, come into play at some stage. Uh, and, you know, as well as law, there's something called equity, too. And, you know, there are vagaries around all of that. But uh, at the end of the day, look, these individuals, they, you know, they, they, they got out, they, they made their stand. But, you know, in the long run, Anton, the reality is that they lost. Uh, you know, they, everything continued. Uh, you know, the project continued uh, unabated. Uh, so they lost, but they made what I think was a very powerful stand uh, for justice. And I think an awful lot of people respected them for that. Now, of course, there's two different ways that you can resist the law. One is through the court system. The other is directly where you almost goad the system into either arresting you or prosecuting you. And there's one famous instance that I actually was talking about on on telly during the week, which is the uh, feminist movement of Ireland taking on the issue of contraceptive uh, contraception and its lack of availability where they went to Northern Ireland, bought contraception, came south of the border and effectively put it up to customs and police to arrest them. Enforce the Constitution! Enforce the Constitution! Well, I bought a packet of Durex and I bought 
the contraception pill which I have here and um, nobody asked me for them but I said I had them just sort of let me through they weren't interested did they make any comment at all nothing had you expected this sort of reaction not really no I thought that you know seems it's supposed to be against the law that they would sort of take them from me so what about that kind of instance, Larry? How is the decision made is uh, to de- on whether or not to prosecute when you're clear that the prosecution is what's desired or to arrest? Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that's where, as I said, Anton, uh, you know, there, there's the law and then there's other considerations. And I think in, in this instance, you know, obviously there were uh, other considerations that uh, that come into play in terms of, of, you know, what the best course of action is for law enforcement. Uh, and look, at the end of the day, this uh, this incident was was hugely successful. I mean, as I said, the, the Rossport Five arguably lost. Uh, these individuals, you know, that led by Nell McCafferty and others, uh, they won at the end of the day, because the contraceptive training, it should, it should be one of the interesting things about this is I, I believe that the pills they brought back weren't actually birth control pills. They were actually aspirin, uh, and they all swallowed aspirin in front of everyone at Conley Station to make a show uh, of the, the demonstration. But these women ultimately won the day because they drew a tremendous amount of attention to uh, the rather, frankly, ridiculous situation that contraception wasn't allowed in this country. Uh, and ultimately, that set in train uh, a series of events that led to uh, a case being decided by the Supreme Court, the McGee case, uh, which you know effectively said there was a marital right to privacy, and that right to privacy included the right to uh, use contraception. Uh, and so this was an instance where uh, they won. The, 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 these women stood up against the system, stood up against, uh, I suppose, a government that was you know at that time inseparable from Catholic Church teaching, uh, and they won uh, at the end of the day. So it was quite extraordinary. And to what extent is there is there protection in numbers? Because I was actually I was watching my um, father actually interviewing um, Austin Curry back in the 70s about his um, squatting in a house in Caledon to, to protest um, prejudice in housing in Northern Ireland. And one of the things he said in that interview was that when they broke into the house to squat in it, all three of them held the shovel together so that they couldn't be individually prosecuted because they were all jointly liable. Does that make a difference? Is there safety in numbers if you're going to make a protest against the law? Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the practicalities, you know, as I said, there's law and there's other things. The practicalities uh, are a big part of this. And obviously, the, the relevant uh, authorities have to make a decision as to whether in light, in view of all the circumstances, uh, in light of all, you know, all the things that need to be brought to bear and all the, all the resources that would need to be marshaled uh, to put together prosecutions and various other uh, events, is it worth it? Uh, and at the end of the day, in lots of these instances where, you know, they're cause driven, where their cause has a lot of sympathy, uh, the decision will be taken uh, not to proceed uh, with the ultimate arm of the law. Well, where, where there was no safety in numbers, we, I think probably the most famous instance of law breaking and its impact on society. I think we probably have to go back to your original birthplace to discuss this one. Rosa Parks and her refusal to sit where she was supposed to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this goes back to the to, to the Deep South. Uh, and Rosa Parks was quite an individual. It's worth reading up on her. And she, indeed, she wrote a memoir. And I think it's a, it's a fascinating read. Uh, she had quite a life. But she was an activist on lots of different civil rights uh, causes. And indeed, you know, vis-a-vis this bus, had, had actually had numerous run-ins with this particular bus driver who applied the law, who applied the law of segregation as it was uh, at that time, uh, you know, in a really, really harsh fashion. So when there were 
there were the, she was sitting in the collet section of the bus, as it was known. Uh, and when uh, the white section of the bus had filled up and more white passengers came on, he the driver instructed her to move from her seat, which was in the collet section, uh, and go to the back of the bus. Uh, she refused to do so. Uh, and at the end of the day, she was fined $10 when she went to court. Uh, but this, you know, her action, it wasn't directly her action, but a series of other actions uh, that led to this law uh, being overturned. So again, she won, just like the, the Irish woman won, she won. And, and I think, Anton, this goes to a really important fact. Uh, in these, when there's an individual or a small group who stand up against the system, they will win when there really is no other colorable argument against them, when there is no argument one way or the other, when they have the, the side of moral, when they have the side of virtue on their side, uh, I tend to think that they will win. Uh, when it comes to Shell, for instance, there were other arguments on the other side. But in this instance, the truth was clearly uh, on Rosa Parks' side. Larry, thank you very much for coming on this morning. That is Larry Donnelly, University of Galway Law Lecturer. 53106 at a cost of 30 cent if you want to get in touch with the show. Or, of course, you can tweet us at Anton Savage or fling us an email, anton at uh, newstalk.com. So, Earlier on, we were discussing um, gadgets that um, should be made instantly defunct because nobody needs them. Like, for instance, air fryers, slow cookers, soda streams, spiralizers, George Foreman grills. The list goes on and on and on. I am, as always, wrong. Here's what uh, people have to say. Air fryers are the, are so last year, the Rolls Royce of kitchen gadgets is now the quicker tap, hot boiling water on demand. The kettle will be a thing of the past. Um, another, what about electric toothbrushes or worse still, battery ones? They always stop working if you bother to use them long enough when you're, then you're stuck with cables and then you go back to a regular toothbrush anyway. That is a fine point. Never understood the electric toothbrush. Um, I love my pressure cooker. It's brilliant for stews, curry, etc. Meat is delicious and so tender after only 20 minutes of pressure cooker. And it seems to be that the big issue with the air fryer is economy. Our air fryer saves us a lot on the electricity bill for not using our oven. We use the Ninja air fryer to pressure cook, grill, steam, bake, slow cook and even roast. Quick and easy, less to heat up, less to clean and a lot on those lines, including one person who is, I think, the the last person in Ireland to own a salad shaker. Salad shakers, I, I think a salad spinner and a salad shaker is the same thing, are the best thing yet. I use them for washing lettuce, herbs, berries, cherry tomatoes. If it broke, I'd have to replace it tomorrow. 53106 at a cost of 30 cent. Coming up after the break, we will be talking fashion and motoring.